0: It's Wednesday, April 30th, and you're listening to an episode of The Secrets. Welcome to this podcast of The Secrets, the podcast for anyone who is serious about writing. The Secrets home can be found at www.strongwolf.com. For the next 15 minutes, we'll talk about writing and how to get you even closer to seeing your name on the spine of a book. Welcome back to The Secrets. I know it's been a long time, perhaps an unforgivably long time, since I've recorded one of these podcasts for you. Uh, The reasons for that are many and varied, including a really bad allergy season here, so I was really not happy with my voice. And if you do listen to me on uh, Dragon Page cover to cover, uh, rest assured it's Michael Menegay's Artistry with a board that makes my voice sound good over there. I just haven't been pleased with how it sounds. The other reason is that publishing has changed a great deal. And again, if you've listened to Dragon Page cover to cover, you've heard us discussing a lot of electronic books. But publishing has changed quite a bit for me, very specifically, and I wanted to go into that. Some of what follows is material that's been discussed on cover to cover, and again, I apologize for any repetition, but I think it's really, really important for anyone who aspires to write and who aspires to be published to have this information. Second thing is that some of this information is going to be really hard to listen to. Publishing, in fact, is in a state of turmoil right now. The good part of it is that for a beginning writer, it is easier to sell a beginning novel than it is for a long-term novelist, like myself, to turn around and sell a later novel. Publishers are having a hard time out there, and I'm going to discuss that in, in a little bit. And I'll discuss some solutions of the particular problems. What's going to be important for you as listeners and and writers who are just coming along, you have to continue to believe in yourself. Even with the roughness in the industry right now, I continue to believe in myself. And Manly Wade Wellman, uh, a, a great writer and a southern gentleman and a man who I had the good fortune to know in the beginning of my career, once said, If you give up on yourself, you're just making it unanimous. Nobody else thinks you can write. Only you. So you can't give up. you got to keep going forward. So what do I want to talk to you about? One of the reasons that I haven't been recording these uh, podcasts is that I've actually been having to work. uh, In March of last year, I turned in my last book to Bantam. That would be The New World. And I was not given a new contract after that. So this means that for 14 months, I've been working without a long-term contract, just because of vague and weird ways that things go. I actually have two books under contract. Uh, The clock has just not started on them, uh, which means that I don't have money coming in for them, which means then I'm doing, you know, interim jobs and, and picking up little work here and there, and that certainly is very rewarding. But let me explain to you what's going on in publishing right now, and what some of the solutions are, and where we're going to look going forward. Right now, paper books are dying. Paper books are sort of in the same situation that horses were at the turn of the previous century. In around 1905, the city fathers of New York were greatly worried about what were they going to do to handle all of the horse manure. That was piling up. At that time, about 1905, there were over a million horses in New York City. And their big concern was, how do we deal with all the manure? And yet, 20 years later, manure was not a problem. And in 1905, they looked at those noisy little cars, and they didn't say, hey, you know, there's the solution. This is what we're doing. No. They just didn't see that future coming down the pike, Paper books are dying. Electronic books are going to pick up the slack. Now, there are going to be tons of you, and, and again, cover-to-cover cover listeners have been through this before. Uh, there are going to be tons of you who say, oh, no, 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 you can't do electronic books You know, on a PDA or a Kindle or a Sony e-reader or the iPod Touch. I, I can't curl up with an electronic machine and decide that uh, I, I like it. It doesn't have the warmth. It doesn't have the feel. It doesn't have the smell. It, you know, it's not the leather covers. It's not the, the lurid covers. It's not, It's just not right. We're just not used to it. What you have to understand is this. Books as we know them, paper books as we know them, are never going to be extinct. No more so than horses are extinct with the advent of cars. But the advent of cars and the internal combustion engine forever changed the face of publishing. It forever changed, excuse me, forever changed the economy of transportation. And so e books are going to change forever the economy of publishing. Publishers in New York don't want to believe this, and they don't want to believe it for a couple of different reasons. One, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a product called the Rocket eBook. You can probably find copies of them uh, somewhere. It was kind of big. It was kind of clunky. And the people who pushed that item promised uh, publishers, they absolutely promised them the moon. And they didn't deliver. I remember back then talking with those guys because it had a search function. It was a very nice tool. And I talked with them about getting into the role playing game industry and getting gaming manuals put on there because those are perfect. You have a search function, those would be great. Uh, the Rockety Book guys were not interested, they were only interested in the bestsellers. And publishers signed up with them, they were promised the moon, and again, that just didn't deliver. And then a little bit later in the 90s, uh, late 90s, you had the whole uh, e-commerce crunch. How, you know, Amazon was making tons of money, Uh, all the book publishers said, okay, yeah, you know, this, this electronic commerce is the way to go, we'll get in. They got burned again. So they're a little shy, and that's understandable. But the real reason that they don't see what's coming down the line is this. Their whole business model, their whole economy is built not on passing stories from authors to readers. Their whole economy is built on passing hunks of dead wood from warehouses through trucks to stores. I don't know if you know this, there is a returns policy. Back in the Great Depression, back in the 1930s, Bookstores were not able to afford buying books because they would buy books from the publishers, they would sell them, They would then they would be very cautious about how much inventory they were going to hold. So back in those days, publishers said, and I believe it was Bennett Surf at Random House, I'm not 100% sure on that, but they said, you know, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You can buy as many copies of a book as you want and if you hold it for at least six months, give it six months of a chance and return it to us before 18 months are up, we will give you full credit for that book. So it was a zero risk for them in terms of the inventory. Well, and, and that was a pretty good deal. You know, the 6 to 18 month window, uh, you could really tell if a book was going to sell. Certainly if it was going to become a bestseller, it would have caught on by then. You would have been out. You would have been to reorders. That was a really, really nice window. Fast forward into the 50s, and all of a sudden to get cheap paperbacks into stores, again in numbers that people could actually buy and would take a look at, Publishing changed again. And what they said is, these books are returnable. And these books are returnable forever. So, uh, and it's very funny. The way the economy of publishing works right now, if on July 1st I sell a copy of The New World, I will not see an accounting of that sale for nine months. And at that nine-month mark, I may not get paid for that book because there's always a clause in the contracts called Reserve Against Returns. And that is that the bookkeepers figure out how many, what percentage of these books they think are going to be coming back, and they withhold the royalties on those books just in case those books are in fact returned by stores. So it might be another six months before I would actually see the money From those books. So it's going to be 15 months from the date of sale before I might actually get paid for that book. And then, forever, I mean, forever, books can be returned. I get royalty statements from publishers on books that have been out of print for four or five years that still show negative royalties because these books are getting returned, which is completely insane. The returns policy, uh, which is really kind of funny, accounts for the fact that for every single book sold in America, two copies are printed. Talk about wasteful. Totally unbelievable. There's another problem with today's publishing, and that is simply this. There was an article last year in the New York Times about this time of year, I think it was May 10th, uh, 2007, And it was in the business section. It was talking about how they try and find bestsellers. And I found two stunning statistics to come out of that. One was that only 5% of a publisher's list makes money. So only one out of 20 books makes money. That one out of 20 books carries everything else. So if you got Stephen King, you're making a profit and you can afford to publish all sorts of stuff that actually doesn't make money. Well, now think about that. What would a Walmart look like if only 5% of their product line actually made money? Well, the stores would be a lot smaller, or they'd remain the same size, and the only things that they would stock are those 5% items. Or perhaps there's a third alternative. You would actually see Walmart advertise products that could be profitable provided people understand and had a demand for those items to be built up. This is something that publishing doesn't do. It doesn't advertise. You look at book tours, the only authors that they send out on book tours are authors that don't need the book tours. And and when was the last time you had a book heard a book advertised? Okay, maybe on NPR in one of those 10 second spots. Have you ever seen a book advertised on TV? rarely very very rarely and it's usually some huge item and they're telling you that it's out there. It's an item you're always gonna want they're telling you it's out there but they don't advertise things and this is one of the things that totally bugs me about uh, publishing if you spend a million dollars as an advance to buy buy a book from someone say Bill Clinton or, or Barack Obama or someone else then you put the the advertising budget into that, the marketing budget, to make sure people know it's out so they know to come to buy that particular book. But if you spend only $2,500 to buy a first novel, and that novel's really, really good, and you turned around and you put, say, $5,000 into advertising it so that the fans of that kind of book would find it, you could sell bunches of copies. You could blow through two or three print runs. and This brings us to the second point out of that New York Times article. Publishers don't have nor do they want demographic data on their readers. Now, it sounds insane, doesn't it? Of course it does. Why don't they want that? Because editors are afraid that if they had demographic data, if they knew that everybody who bought their books was a 9 to 19-year-old boy, That they, the editors, would be required to buy books that appeal to 9 to 19 year old boys. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, if you've got a store and everybody wants Coke and nobody wants Pepsi, you stock Coke, period. But publishers don't want to do that. And yet, and yet, and again, people who listen to Dragon Page cover to cover know that uh, we have been talking about the supernatural romance. Uh, boom uh, that will go bust somewhere along here, publishers end up expanding their line to add more books in a hot trend. So in essence, what they're doing is that they are publishing to a demographic, but they're doing it blindly. They're doing it without any clue as to what is really going on. So not only do they not want that demographic data, because they want to be free to find the next James Joyce, and they know if they have to publish to, to uh, demographic data, the James Joyce's of the world just aren't going to get published, because their books basically are elitist, and if James Joyce thought anyone was trying to market him to the masses, he would be turning over in his grave. Um, so this is just not something that, that you're going to see. So publishing, especially as it's established now, is not really a business. It's a badly run sport. And this causes significant problems. So why is it that I'm without a contract right now? Well, one, I'm not the only writer in my situation who's without a contract. But it's kind of interesting. Publishing is reporting book sales dropping off. So they're watching their sales trend line go down. Well, if a publisher were to pick up a trilogy from me today, to be able to pay me in advance to write those three books out over the next three years, they would have to be projecting sales out to uh, around 2014. But since they're seeing sales trend down, they can't make that projection. Therefore, they're not willing to offer me and other veteran writers the amount of money we would need to be able to write books. They're not willing to share that risk because they got no idea where stuff is going. Now, here's the funny thing. They're telling us that people aren't reading, and that's what they're making out of their sales dropping off. This is sort of like a big ketchup company coming to a tomato farmer and saying, you know what, we can't buy any more tomatoes from you because ketchup sales are dropping off, and that means people are not eating. Well, excuse me, it doesn't work. Just because book sales are dropping off doesn't mean that people aren't reading. People read all the time. People read online constantly. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I frequent a bunch of different blogs. I know I've got people who are signed up to my blog. We do reading all the time. We're just not buying books. Why aren't we buying books? Well, kids, let's think about it this way. Back, oh, you know, back before George Bush, when you could afford a gallon of gasoline, it might cost you two bucks to drive to a bookstore where you could buy a $25 hardback now it costs you 30 or more dollars to fill your gas tank and that hardcover still costs 25 well if i've got to be going to work and i've got to be getting out of the house and i've got to have a car i'm not buying hardbacks and quite frankly you know when i'm paying 30 bucks for a tank of gas and when transportation costs are driving up the cost of everything else you know that $8 paperback don't look so good either. So what we're looking at is economy here, which is not functioning very well. Now I mentioned ebooks, and and I can talk about ebooks at length and certainly will. But a couple of things that I want you to bear in mind, and you can just you can you can think about this. This is a point to mull over, it's a good thing to raise up in a conversation over coffee. When you think about trends and the way things go. There is, there is a four point constant, I believe, in where, you know, something's going to be successful and something's going to be a growth area. And it's very simple. If you have a product which saves people time, saves them money, saves them space, you will never go broke. And the fourth point is if it makes them feel good, that's sort of the frosting. I mean, that is the, you know, the one ring to bind them all, maybe, um, You've got something that'll be a winner. And you think about electronic books. Saves people time. They download it right now. I mean, people who've got the Kindles and people who've got the Sony ebook readers and even the stuff that I've been doing with the iPod and putting stories on there, you download it. It's on in a matter of seconds. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to go out to the store. You don't have to do anything other than say, this is what I want, and bang, it's on that machine, and you're ready to roll. And that's a very cool thing. Second thing, uh, when you think about it is it saves you space. Look, we all read lots of books. We read lots of books. But not every book is a keeper. So you may not want to have all of these books sitting around. You may not want to have your self-space totally taken up. But if you want to save the ebooks that you've got, You know, you burn 100, 200, 400 of them onto a CD and slap that on your shelf. Yeah, maybe not as romantic, but it saves you room for those keeper books that you want. And I'll tell you this, with electronic books coming up, what you're going to see, because uh, new technology also makes printing of books a lot easier, is you will see those keeper books coming out in hardback editions which is really, really neat. I mean, I've got um, uh, Catalyst Game Labs is gonna be bringing out my first three Battletech novels in a hardback omnibus, and they can afford to do that because of the price uh, going down in printing because of technology. So this is, it's a very, very exciting time to be alive. What does this mean in terms of publishing, however? And what does this mean for where the future goes? Well, the future is gonna be really interesting. We know that there are trends, uh, that people are buying a lot more online. This is, It's kind of interesting. Uh, last year, in 2007, uh, there was a Nielsen survey of Internet users in 48 different countries. 41% of computer users had bought books online. And in the statistics, it was kind of interesting. 57.5 million Americans, just over a sixth of Americans, one out of six Americans, had bought books online, but that percentage was not high enough to put us in the top 10 countries that were buying books online. And last year, on December 10th, which was the busiest day in 2007 for Amazon.com, it reported it sold 5.4 million items. And this was up from 4 million items the year before. So what's happening? Consumers are definitely comfortable with... Comfortable, that's a good word. Uh, Consumers are definitely comfortable With buying online and getting it now, we don't want to wait. How does this push toward electronic publishing? Electronic publishing is becoming easier and easier and easier to do. And the numbers are really interesting. Remember I told you before that if I sell a book right now, it's going to take me 15 months before I get paid for it maybe? Now, granted, I may have had an advance on that book, so we're just earning it out. But if that advance is earned out, 15 months after that book is sold. And what I'm getting off of that book, and this will just totally blow your, blow your socks off, $8 book, I'm probably getting $0.80. Cents. So I'm getting 10% of the cover price. Whereas, if I'm selling stuff directly to you online, or an author is selling something directly to you online, I can offer it to you for much less, half that price. And I still make out better than I would if you bought the paperback. Moreover, if I finish a book today and I spend a month editing it up, I can have it going on sale immediately. You don't have to wait a year for a publishing cycle to get it all set up, to get it merchandised, which they don't really do anyway. A lot of advantages. Again, save money, give you some speed, and allow you to have some fun. There are other things um, that we can talk about. Let me talk a little bit about the new medium. I've mentioned the Kindle. I've mentioned uh, the Sony e-book reader. Both are fine-looking devices. Um, the only difficulty that I've got with them is that they are not something you can put in your pocket. Uh, PDAs and the iPod Touch are things you can put in your pocket. And I find that much more convenient uh, for reading. Um, you can always vary the type size. You get a hold. You can be carrying. You know, six, ten, you know, six hundred novels uh, on a PDA, on a on a uh, memory card. It's it's very exciting time to be able to use that sort of stuff. And look, I've been reading off of uh, ebook readers for a long time, and they work out very well. I don't have a problem with them. In fact, I will curl up in bed. Maybe about the only place I won't read with them is in a bathtub. So these things are out there, and, and you think about it. You know, a book, a hunk of dead wood, is not a story. If we burned, if a bookstore burned, how many stories would be lost? Absolutely none. Absolutely none. And so, you know, with these devices, you already have a box to put the stories in. And there's no reason why you shouldn't then, having spent that money on the box, be able to pull down lots of stories and be able to read those stories at your leisure save them, and with search functions and links back and forth between them, you can do all sorts of stuff that that just isn't possible with novels right now. And that is something that I find absolutely fascinating and absolutely intriguing and exciting. One of the very cool things about new media, and certainly listening to podcasts is part of new media, is that it opens up a variety of options for writers that we never had before. For example, when you think about movies or television shows or even music, how do you know what it is you want to buy tickets to? How do you know what it is you want to listen to? Well, the answer very clearly is sampling. Most often you'll hear a snippet of it. You'll see a preview for a movie. You'll see a preview for a television show. You will know what to expect or you've been enticed and teased. And that's something that draws you to that particular property. Well, certainly with podcasts, we can go ahead and give you samples you know we can record the first chapter for you and have that out there and you can be listening to that first chapter and you can say oh yeah i want the rest of this in the same way we can put the first chapter out in an ebook friendly format to let you read it you can read it on a, on a website you can read it on a handheld and you can decide you know what i'm going to go out there and buy that and that's advertising and that is that is just one of many things that you can do, and it's certainly more than uh, gets done by publishers. You also take into account something like Second Life, where I've become involved in setting up bookstores and doing readings and having chats uh, and all that sort of stuff. There are other ways using new media to be able to connect with your readers, to be able to build yourself an audience, to be able to draw people in and expose them to your work this is an absolutely wonderful thing that should be done and while some publishers are doing it they're really not exploiting the medium they're seeing it as a marketing expense they're leaving it to marketing people and it's really an IT experience and if you don't have people out there to do outreach it's just not gonna function very well for you but here's the cool thing ebooks are going to reshape the way that we read to a certain extent storytelling has already been been Storytelling has always been serial. If you look at Homer and you look at the books of Homer, Homer's Iliad, Homer's Odyssey are sort of contracted down into 12-hour chunks because that's how long the performers of the poem would sit there and during contests, during celebrations, and during festivals and present this. So things were episodic. You look at radio shows. You look at songs. When bards were telling stories and they were just singing songs, songs are perforce episodic. You think about Robin Hood and how it was all told in little songs, which have since been expanded into stories. So we're used to episodic stories. Uh, You think about the novels of Charles Dickens that were told in episodes. That was how these things were sold. There are the famous stories about people waiting for steamships to come into the docks in New York wanting to know what the next installment in the latest uh, Charles Dickens novel was, whether characters had lived or characters had died. It's fascinating. Human beings seem to be wired for episodic stuff. I suspect it may be a reaction to the whole Daylight, daytime cycle thing, which makes for an interesting science fiction story, I suppose. If you go in the other direction for a planet where the uh, the world doesn't revolve, do people see stories in the same episodic thing, or do they see it just as flowing along? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea. The uh, So, serial fiction, I think, is going to be something which comes back, and comes back very strongly, where we look at good characters, we look at them growing. Um, matter of fact, on uh, Stormwolf.com, one of the things, two things, two items I've actually just added to the store. And yeah, this is the plug part of the program. One is a guide to writing serial fiction. It's a guide to how you set up series, how you develop characters, what are the things you want to look for, how you go about plotting, what you are going to do to make it uh, attractive, to make it compelling, to draw people back in. Second thing which I've got out there, which, which works in conjunction with this, um, aside from the fact that you can subscribe to the newsletter and I'm going to be dealing with a lot of these issues as we go forward because I'm exploring this stuff at the same time that you guys are, is I've uh, started to take back issues of the secrets and just group them together. And the first grouping that I've got is the world building. I had a a series of about 13 different issues where I dealt with world building. And so I've got all that in one particular set. And that sells for 20 bucks. The serial fiction guide sells for 20 bucks. I also have the rules of writing, which sell for 20 bucks. So you can get those. And these are very concise guides that say, okay, guys, this is how you do this work. And I think the serial fiction one is going to be especially, uh, especially important, both whether you go the traditional route in publishing. Or you decide to tend more toward online or best, and this is certainly what I advocate, this is what I'm looking at, try and do both things. Now how do I mean serial fiction then becomes important? Well, let's say you've done a novel, but you've got some backstory or you've got some side stories that are going on. You can deal with that backstory and those side stories as shorter stories, which then you publish off of your website. And you get readers to buy, You get or you put some up for free as samples so that they go, Oh, this character's cool. I'm going to go and I'm going to read the novel now. Very exciting and a very great way to be able to go ahead and actually merchandise what you're doing. It's a, it's a very cool thing, and I, I'm very much looking forward to that. As well, Dickens shows that people will come back for serialized fiction. You know, so one of the things I'm doing is developing a couple of different worlds, a couple of different storylines to be able to be putting brand new material out there. And look, you know, if I get three stories into a line uh, and readers are not interested in that, but they're interested in another line, well, you know, this the, the first line may go a little bit into hiatus and the other line will pick up speed. Or I'll begin to develop brand new products that will go ahead and will drop in there. Another aspect of new media is going to be that the lengths of stories are actually going to change. And an intermediate length story really is going to open up in terms of a market. One of the things that you have to think about is that people, when they're reading off of these devices, are probably going to be reading on commutes. They're going to be reading on planes. They're going to be reading before they go to bed. They're going to be snatching time here and there because we've all become very, very busy. So I'm looking at half hour to three quarter hour chunks, half hour to an hour, because I think that that's going to be critical. I think that that's a good commute time, a good commute length. So what does that mean? That means stories that are somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 words long. You know, most anthologies, uh, the upper limit on stories is about 6,000 words. And some editors will let you go longer, and I generally do. but but you're looking at about 6,000 words. And 6,000 words is just around a half an hour's worth of content, which, again, is perfect for a lunch hour, is perfect for a commute. So you get serial stories. They break down into those chunks. You've got people who are going to be coming back again and again and again to be able to get content. Another thing which is really cool, and I'm very much looking forward to this, is that the shorter length and the fact that we can sell direct means all of a sudden there are opportunities that open up for writers to do collaborations that we could never do before. I mean, I've already started talking to some of my friends in the business and co-plotting stories that we can do together where, uh, say, you know, chapters 1 and 3 would appear on his website, chapters 2 and 4 would appear on my website. We get to cross-pollinate our audiences, which is really cool. Hopefully, you know, we'll sell a lot of stuff. But the most fun is I get to play with some of my friends. Where we couldn't do that. I mean, if we wanted to collaborate on a short story, there wouldn't be enough money in it to make it worth for either one of us to do that sort of thing. And if we were going to collaborate on a novel, boy, that brings with it all sorts of contract problems. Whose agent is going to handle it? Whose publisher is going to handle it? It all gets very, very weird. So now we can do fast and dirty little stories. We can also do virtual anthologies. You know, I can say, hey, look, I've got a story about vampires. Do you have a story about vampires? Okay. And so we just do some links in between our our things and say, here's my vampire story. Here's so-and-so's vampire story. Here's another one. Another author sees that and says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got an idea for a vampire story. Can, you know, can I hop on? So sure. So we have all of these stories and sort of this virtual anthology, which can go on forever and that's a very cool thing and again is a way for us to be able to market our work back and forth a way to draw an audience to what we're actually doing another thing is you know this uh, I talked a little bit earlier about the supernatural romance trend and the fact that I expected to go boom expected to go boom because when you have to publish four novels a month in that particular genre and you have to fill those four slots and you in a, in a month when you only get three really good books you take the next book, the next closest book. You know, Let's say you've got three A-minuses. The next closest book is a C plus. That C-plus wins the lottery and gets into that slot. Well, readers who want A's and A-minuses get a C-plus book. They become more picky. They stop buying sight unseen. And that whole thing collapses. And yet, that doesn't mean that the readers for those things have gone away. It just means they're disgusted. But you can benefit off of that because you can sit down and write your own stories and they can have them now and they can seek you out and and a publisher doesn't have to decide you know what the risk on this particular book is too high i'm not going to publish it it will have too small an audience because for them what is too small an audience for you is is wonderful look if you're selling short stories for 2 bucks and that's uh, the way my marketing on the website goes is is very simple if it is 10,000 words and under it is a $2 book or a $2 story. If it is, you know, ten thousand one word up to 40,000 words, it's $3 over 40,000 words, which is, you know, well past novel or is considered novel length. Uh, over 40,000 words is four bucks. You know, that's how I'm pricing stuff. Well, here's the thing, you know, if, uh, if I get 3,000 people that buy a $2 story from me, that's uh, after PayPal and stuff like that, that's about five grand. Eh, 4500 maybe five grand, And that's not bad. I can use that income. That can pay my health insurance. I like that. And this is something that enables us to do. And, you know, what are you buying for $2? You're buying a half an hour to an hour's worth of entertainment. I mean, basically, for a story that will take you an hour, I'm going to charge you the same thing that iTunes will charge you for a 44-minute uh, television episode. And I think the bargain and uh, the bargain and the cost, I think, are, are, are really good. You get value for value. And so this is a really exciting thing, which is going forward. Other things which are really, really cool. I did a story uh, set in a fantasy world, and I did one of those poems that was a song. You know, we've all seen them. You see them in italics in the books, and you always wonder what they would have sounded like. Well, I got a friend of mine to record the song. He actually wrote the music, and he recorded the song. And now, when I go to sell that story, I can sell the song with it. And if you're listening on an iPod or a Kindle or a Sony ebook reader, because all of those things will handle MP3s, you will know that when you go to read that story, you can also go over here and you can play that song. You don't just have to read the poetry. You can actually listen to someone sing it. Another thing, and those of you who have been to my website have seen this, I have been doing a fictional nonfiction project. Uh, The Grand History, and this is some background material for my Dragon Crown War books. So these are little essays, I sell them for about a buck a piece, that go in-depth into things about the world. Uh, You can consider this writer development documents, you can consider it gaming background documents, whatever you want. But it's a different way to approach this material. And you can do really cool stuff there. And this is a way to enroll people in what you're doing. I mean, boy, you know, I like the idea that gamers out there might have read the books, wanted to adapt things, and now they can take these articles and say, okay, this is definitively how these things are structured. No, I don't have any gaming stats in there, but I could do that. And so suddenly you have a multimedia approach that actually actually works. Another thing you can do, and again, this comes bound in with stories and with novels, is you can do book discussion notes. So that you can actually set your book up to be something that people who run book discussions really want to be able to use. Suddenly you make it far more useful. And so groups out there say, you know what, we've got a, we've got a book group. I don't have time to figure out all the intricacies. I just want to read the book and enjoy it. Here, I've got this teaching guide. Or for parents who homeschool, or even for, for teachers who want to teach a particular item, this becomes an absolutely helpful thing. And these are all parts of stuff that we can toss in there. If you're an artist and you know artists, you can bundle pictures with your stories so that people can, see what's, people can see what is absolutely going on. What is the picture in your mind? It's all very, very cool. And, of course, you can also toss in wallpapers and stuff. So you can have people who really like your work, you know, having a, uh, having a shot of the flags of your nations or, or anything on that order, you know, depending upon how good an artist you are. That will be part of what's going on. So this is an incredible, an incredible new set of opportunities that we've got out there. And the reason that you've got to embrace these opportunities is because this is how the world is changing. You know, the one thing that I've learned about technology and the developments of technology, and you can can look at this for yourself, technology always changes things faster than you ever expect. You know, I was at Costco uh, yesterday. Uh, they had a, a, a one terabyte hard drive. One terabyte hard drive, a thousand gigs for 500 bucks. You know, people are giving away two gig thumb drives. It's a- absolutely incredible. And on that two gig thumb drive, you could store, oh, I don't know, 2,000 volumes. Just think about that. You can take your entire library and on three of those thumb drives have your entire library and room for so much more. And this is the direction things are things are moving. And so you have to be aware of that. And you have to start looking. By all means, continue your novel. Write the books that you want to write. Look at moving into the future and, and look at, at having publishers publish your books. But also develop the ancillary material. Develop the background stuff. Have someone do the songs. Make all of these things available. Because if you're waiting 15 months to get money back on a book, and you've got diehard fans who are willing to pay you 2 or 3 or $4 for other stories, what the heck? You know, if you think back to what it was that we really, really do 300 years ago, not before the printing press, but 300 years ago, uh, back before mass literacy, we were the bards, we were the entertainers, and that has never gone away. Sure, people who sell books and publish books get away from that and they forget it. They think it's all about the paper. It's all about the stack of books sitting in a bookstore. It's not. It's about the story. And that's what we control. And that's what's so exciting about this. All of a sudden, if you think about published books starting from about the 1840s up to now, we suddenly had an intermediary inserted there, the publisher, who was the person who stood between us and our audience not anymore we get to go direct we get to give them value for their money we get to develop our patrons and have them work for us so i'm going to be starting to do more with the secrets but i want all of you to look at embracing the coming revolution i'll talk more about serial fiction i will talk more about putting together stories, all the stuff we've been talking about, because good writing and good storytelling is still the soul of what goes on. I mean, face it, in the coming in the coming days, anybody who can create a PDF is going to consider himself an author. You want to be a storyteller. And if you stick with me and you work with me, I will tell you how to do that. And I will show you the ways that you can succeed by going direct. And uh, do my best to help you be able to publish by traditional publishing. But you want to keep your eyes open. You want to be looking at the future. Because for writers, it may look grim right now. But, you know, this is the dawn of a new day. And it is not going to get better. I mean, it is just going to be fantastic for us. Because we will be able to reach out to our audience. We will be able to turn out those stories that we really, really like. And we will find people out there who like them too. And that's the way that we're going to be able to make a living and be able to continue telling stories. I'm sorry that uh, I've gone on for so long here, but I'm really passionate about this. Uh, I have spent a long time over the last year thinking about this, looking forward and doing a lot of different things to set myself up to move forward. And I really do want to share that with you because, you know, it is part of part of my mission. It's part of what drives me to do this podcast to make sure that you guys can succeed. You know, it's plotting a new course, but success has always been a moving target. And I know you guys can do this. I know I can do this. I know that we can change things and we can benefit from the change. As long as we open our eyes and we keep pushing forward. Uh, This is Michael A. Stackpole, and obviously this is The Secrets. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. Please visit www.stormwolf.com. Uh, you can get free sample issues of the secrets there you can see the fiction that I've been uh uh been putting up and uh, hopefully you'll buy some of it. You also can see the guides to writing and see uh as as we go on week by week, there'll be more of those compilations of the secrets as well as other material coming out and some really exciting stuff uh that I'm looking forward to announcing and and unveiling as we go forward. Let's see I think uh just in you know the other plugs. Uh, the new world came out a year ago in July is when the mass market paperback for that is coming out. So if you've been waiting on that to get the whole series, just remember it's the secret atlas and then cartomancy and the new world. Uh, I heartily recommend them. Uh, people have been saying really, really good things about those books, which makes me very, very happy. Uh, if you want to come and discuss this stuff, go to my website at stormwolf.com. You will see uh, a number of posts about second life. Uh, I'm not really good at doing forums, but in Second Life and live chatting, usually on Thursday nights, uh, I have office hours starting at uh, 6 o'clock West Coast time, so it would be 9 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, That's in the United States. And you can come, you can visit Third Life Books. So just go in and do a search on Third Life Books. You can come, visit, enjoy the discussion. We talk about everything from writing to the world. Uh, it's just great. We've got a really cool community there. All the guys from Farpoint Media are, are there. Um, they stream their shows live, although we don't do cover-to-cover cover live. Uh, we haven't streamed that in yet. Uh, but uh, that may be coming down the line. But you are more than welcome and really encourage you to come in. Uh, Second Life is a lot of fun. It's basically chat with a graphical interface, uh, and it gets to be really, really cool. And uh, my partner, uh, Cassie Claiborne, uh, and I have uh, put together a really neat place to come hang out. So come on and join us. Uh, It's very, very cool. And we're setting up a community. We have a writer's workshop. Uh, Again, we have classes. Um, It's really cool. So uh, come on out and do things. This podcast is copyright 2008 by Michael A. Stackpole. I will be back relatively soon, hopefully around a fortnight. Um, You know, we'll see. And I'll be bringing you more stuff, more news about the battle, and more things about how we can get you closer to getting your name on the spine of a book or your name on a file which goes into somebody's ebook reader and makes them very, very happy. Thanks for listening.